You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz for the 9th of November. It's coming at us, and it's coming fast. We'll break down the latest news as the agreement is set. Three draft players I watched over the weekend. A new mock draft, and the Jazz have worked out two players. Plus, our regular free agent and team breakdown. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. Pow! How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. My apologies for no Friday. I kind of knew that was going to happen. We're with you, though. Finding a way to get an episode out every single day, and it is coming fast. We are 10 days away from the draft. Camps open on the first. Free agency will happen in between that and the opening day of the NBA season. All indications are the 22nd. So we'll be here for you every single day on Locked on Jazz. Make sure you stay with us uh, and make it a part of your day. Thanks very much for tuning in. Great work across the network. Josh Lloyd interviewing different people with their takes on the draft. It's been interesting to listen to because – he gets some guys on you might not know as well, and they have really different takes, and I admire that. Like players in this draft who people aren't talking about, and they you know kind of bring up the idea that maybe, well, I, I kind of like this guy or that guy, and they're not necessarily names that you've heard of. So I think that's an interesting one uh, to catch. And then Chad Ford's big board has been fantastic. Wednesday, starting Wednesday on Locked on NBA, we'll do our NBA mock draft. All right, here's the thing that's so interesting about this draft. And that is, there does seem to be kind of three players, none of them all-star caliber players, uh, or guaranteed all-star players in Edwards, Wiseman, and LaMelo Ball, who most people think are kind of a tier ahead. And then when you get into the next uh, element, Denny, the kid out of Israel, uh, Isaac Okoro out of Auburn, who I've watched a good deal, um, and some of the others... In Tyrese Halliburton, it's not that dramatically different than if you're watching Kira Lewis Jr., who I watched the other day, um, or if you're watching, you know, frankly, I really like Robert Woodard, or, you know, Devin Vassell's pretty darn good in there. And it's so it's a really interesting draft in that there's not that top talent. But the other thing is, I heard Sam Vancini say, you know, he has like 40 players on his board who he thinks could get guaranteed contracts, which is a huge number. And I, I kind of agree with him. When I'm watching these players in this draft from, and I'm watching guys that are 15 to 30 because we're sitting at 23, I like almost all of them. Um, every now and then, and I had this happen last night, I had a player who I'm like, gosh, I don't know how it translates, but he's a really good player. So it probably does translate. Whereas in years past, quite honestly, I've watched these draft guys and I just don't see it at all. So this is a super interesting draft because you have almost all of the guys have great physical bodies, which means they're going to last in the NBA. I've talked about this a ton. I'll, I'll preach it forever. When you look at a player, if his body size is unique, usually inadequate, and then you comp him to one player or two players or his athleticism is inadequate and you comp him to one player and say, well, he'll be like that. And there's no four, five, six, seven, eight, nine comp, then you're in trouble or there's a high likelihood you're in trouble unless this kid's really, really special. 
Like, Siddiqui Bay, we've talked about out of Villanova. He's 6'8", he's 216, he's got a 6'10 wingspan. Like, he's playing in the league. Now, is he going to be as good as Tobias Harris? Or is he going to be Damari Carroll? Or is he going to be some other, you know, 6'8 wing that we've had? But if you're a 6'8", 216 wing, you play in the league. So I'll give you some thoughts on three players that I watched. Kira Lewis Jr., Tyrese Maxey, and Nesmith um, here in a second. Aaron Nesmith out of uh, Vanderbilt. Uh, The Jazz worked out Jaden McDaniel and Josh Green, according to Tony Jones. Those are two players that we've talked about. Um, Green on Kevin O'Connor's latest mock draft is at 21. I'm a fan. A good example of what we're talking about. 6'6", 210, 6'10", wingspan. Like, that just plays in the league. Like, you're going to have a hard time narrowing his comp, not coming up with his comp. There's just so many players like that. Um, I think he'd be great next to Donovan. Uh, He's not, you know, I didn't see him get on top of the cup. Uh, I talked about him a few shows back, but in case you missed it. Um, I thought he moved the ball beautifully, played with teammates beautifully, had a good shot, was athletic. I wasn't sure if he was basketball athletic in the sense that I didn't see him get on top of the cup, blow by people, turn the corner on people. Um, Some of the numbers show that. I think he'll probably over time be able to play with the ball in his hands a little bit more. That team was very uh, Nico Mannion dependent. So, um, you know, he he had a high turnover rate, but it didn't bother me because I thought he was a very good passer. And so you're trying things and there's more space in the NBA. Um, So I think that'll be good. He'll, you know, the skills that he needs, Josh Green needs to get better at, handle, tightness, some of those kind of things, figure out how to finish at the rim. Generally, you can get a little better at at the NBA. You can't teach 6'10 wingspan. You can't teach 6'6 height. Um, and I'm not always sure you can teach feel. And I thought he had a really good feel. The other player they had in, Jaden McDaniels. That's actually who Kevin O'Connor has projected to the Jazz. Now, this is a flyer. Uh, we heard Chad Ford on him and on Josh Green last week on our show. Uh, again, if you missed it, welcome to go back. They're pretty evergreen. Uh, and this is another one. Like, he's 6'9", 200. And frankly, Kevin O'Connor of the Ringer has his mocks as Nima Bialica, Rashard Lewis, and Andrew Wiggins. You can't find three more different players, but he's 6'9", 200 with a 6'11 wingspan. He had a terrible rookie freshman year at Washington. As I said in my critique of him, uh, you know, watching him play, he clearly was a guy, as I was watching him, I was like, he must have scored 50 in high school. I actually looked it up. He did against Todd Beamer High School. He scored 50 in high school. And the reason was, Every time he got the ball, he had, just was looking to score. He was not playing with teammates. He was completely unaware of the four other guys on the floor. Um, and then, you know, he's so overly talented at high school at 6'9", 200 with, as a pretty good athlete. He, you, you watched him and wondered, you know, his, his handle was loose and things like that but, and didn't seem to see the floor. He, he did lack a little feel, probably because he's never had to play with it. Now, I don't know. As I said earlier, I don't know that you can necessarily learn that. So... Um, he did not have, you're, you're projecting that that body at 6'10", 200, and your staff is going to be able to do a good job. And I would trust the Jazz player development staff an awful lot. Here are the three players I watched this weekend. Um, Kira Lewis Jr. out of Alabama, Tyrese Maxey out of uh, Kentucky, and Aaron Nesmith out of Vanderbilt. Let me start with Lewis Jr. first. He's projected well above the Jazz. Um, he's projected to be floating around according to Kevin O'Connor's last draft pick. I think he might've had him actually in the top 11 or 12 of the, of the draft. I'll have to check it again, but I think he had him even maybe even as high as 10. Um, 
He's 6'3 with a 6'6 wingspan. He's little, though. He's 165. Point guard album. Really like him. Most everything's going right on a high pick and roll, and I didn't see a lot of him pulling up and shooting, but we've t- we've had him on the list of guys, numbers-wise, who we've talked about recently, who have really good numbers um, overall. In the game I watched, he played Kentucky. Um, he kept them in the game. He was really really solid. And remember, I'm watching one, sometimes two games. These guys are scouts or an NBA pro scouts are watching guys for the whole entire year. So they're, you know, I could catch a good day, but he's Lewis is interesting. He's 79% in transition uh, percentile, but he's not great in isolation. That doesn't surprise me watching him pick and roll ball handling. He did an awful lot of it. He was 62 percentile. He did get to the rim. He was crafty. He got to the rim, both left-handed and right-handed. He wants to come left to right. He came left to right off a ton of double staggers. He's pretty good. His every pass is a jump pass, which is a little unnerving, probably something you can work on. Um, but you know exactly what you're getting. You're getting a point guard who is quick, who's elite athletically, can come downhill at you. He's little. I think he's going to struggle at 160 defensively. His catch and shoot numbers were okay. The number that really I was interested in was his off the bounce number. He was a 79th percentile, 46% effective field goal percentage off the bounce. I just didn't see him take it against Kentucky. Kentucky might have just decided that they weren't going to give it to him. So it wasn't evident to me that he had that aspect in his game. So the, the concern was that. Um, you know, again, he's a six-three guard, so he could last in the league bouncing around like a, one of the millions of backup guards you've seen, or he could become starter. You know, he's not as powerful as a Colin Sexton, but he reminded me a little bit of Colin Sexton. Um, he's, uh, you know, his uh, he's a decent playmaker seeing the floor. It was more that I think he knew where his outlets were when his scoring opportunity dried up more than him creating for other people. Um, but I did like the fact that, when he went with his left hand, he occasionally would go to the basket, which is his offhand, and would take contact so that he's still athletic enough to play with strength on his offhand, I thought was was impressive. I'll, I'll tell you about Tyrese Maxey, who's interesting. I have some doubts on that. And uh, Nesmith, who I need to watch more in a second. Today's show brought to you by Murdoch Hyundai, located at 4646 South State Street, also located in Logan and in Linden. The Hyundai lineup of cars is just fabulous for everyone. Uh, check it out. Uh, the Tucson is the mid-sized SUV. The Santa Fe is the one that we've got in our house. Uh, two of them, in fact. We absolutely love that car. Uh, the Kona is the little zippy one that's floating, ar- flying around. Uh, kind of looks like that Subaru Outrax. And then the Palisade is the beautiful big SUV. So as the winter comes, if you're looking for an SUV, check out Murdoch Hyundai. Before you head down there, email me at dlock09 at gmail.com. That's dlock09 at gmail.com so that we can help you out and get you set up with your Hyundai experience, give you the VIP treatment that you deserve at Murdoch Hyundai. Josh Lloyd hosted today's Locked On NBA. It's the biggest stories with the local experts. He runs around the league on the biggest stories. So if you want to catch up what's going on with the league, please be sure to do that. Wednesday, starting this week on Locked On NBA, is our yearly mock draft, our most listened to show on the NBA channel. We'll start Wednesday. We'll have each, we'll have experts in studio. John Hollinger will give our trade analysis. Chad Ford will check in about the draft. We'll also have Brad Roland and Brandon Clean, the Locked On Network, who are great draft experts, and each of the local experts giving their insight on what their team needs to do, unique to only the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, Tyrese Maxey is a guard out of Kentucky. Um, he's really he's a really nice player, but he's the first one that I've watched 
where I suddenly, the more I watched him and certainly liked him and all of his skills about him, and frankly, you know, like if he were to slide to 23, I don't know how we could possibly pass on him. But I'm a little concerned on how he translates to the NBA. Now, he plays really hard. He's really skilled. And if he does figure out to translate to the NBA, he's going to be really good. So this will be one of those things where, like, somebody says to me one day, you didn't like Tyrese Maxey, and he's great. Okay, I can see where he can put this thing together. I'm just watching him right now. He's a 6'3 guard who's not a ball handler. So... He handles a little bit. There's about three minutes of a game when Kentucky pulls their natural point guard and he brings it up, but it's not, you can tell he's not comfortable with it. Like he's maintaining it, but he's not a ball handler. Okay. So he's bringing the ball. He's six, three, like he's not six, five, which I'd really like him to be. If he's going to be a shooting guard or six, six, if he's going to be a wing that slides between the two, the three and the, you know, maybe even at times the four switching. So at six, three, crazy, strong, really well built, beautiful body, but still small. 6'3", 200, right? So he's a brick. That's a little concerning. So he's not a natural one. Well, he's not really much of a shooter either. So, you know, when you think of your traditional two, you're thinking about somebody who can really shoot it. Well, I'm watching Tyrese Maxey. His release is low. It comes out in front of him a little bit. You certainly don't think it's going in. He's in the 47th percentile of all spot-up shooters this year. He's in the 20th percentile of all catch-and-shoot college players. He went 19 of 76 on catch-and-shoot this year. The one I like is the unguarded catch-and-shoot because there's a chance when you're the best player on a college team and everyone is throwing it to you and just leaving you to die, that you get crappy opportunities. He's a 40th percentile of catch-and-shoot unguarded. 15 of 45. Like, that's really concerning. The only players in the draft that we have numbers on that are worse than him in the top 20, 25 picks are Lamel, are Anthony Edwards, who was 7 of 32 on open catch and shoots. And then after that, Isaiah Stewart, but he's actually a big. And then Xavier Tillman, but he's a big. So of the guards that are out there, that I've looked at top 25, top 30 players in numbers, and I'll run more over the week. Maxie's the worst catch and shoot player there is. Then when you start to dig in, all right, well, he's a great, all right, so he's half, he's actually pretty good as a pick and roll ball handler. That's surprising, but he did it 97 times. It's pretty good. And his transition numbers are great, but his isolation percentage is awful. It's 25th percentile in isolation. So I'm watching this guy and Again, sixth plays super hard, good defensively, helps his team win, like all the good things you'd like about a player. But I'm trying to figure out where all of those skills go into the NBA. So now, being positive, he's an 83% free throw shooter. That's usually the number that correlates to future three-point shooting. But, like, Kevin O'Connor has him comp to Bradley Beal in the ringer. Um, how can that be possible? This is the least good shooter of all of the numbers we have there. And he's got a release that's even makes it less good in the NBA. He shot 32% on his jumpers. So, again, when you're kind of looking at these guys, here he is. He's not a natural one. He doesn't shoot like a two. He's not big enough to be a three, four transition. Pretty concerning to me. Now, the skill, the energy, the athleticism, the body, like to pass on that would be really hard. But Tyrese Maxey is the first player that I've watched who 
is kind of caught in between what I think are the two strengths of this draft. And those are almost everyone can really shoot it or everyone's got these unbelievable, crazy bodies. Like uh, we haven't talked about Precious, the kid out of Memphis, 6'9", 225 with a 7'2 wingspan. Like he's finding a way on the court. Like that's incredible. And even the next guy we're going to talk about, Aaron Naismith, who's not an elite athlete out of Vanderbilt, is 6'6". So Naismith, Naismith, Nesmith, excuse me. I I suddenly made him a direct descendant of the founder of the game of basketball. Nesmith is 6'6", 213. And he had the best shooting year. You heard Chad Ford and Brad Rowland on him in the draft. He had the best shooting year of anyone in the league in college basketball last year. Uh, he's in the 95th percentile in spot up. He's in the hundredth percentile of catch and shoot. Like he's the best open catch and shoot. He went 21 of 32. They, to get him shots, Jerry Stackhouse ran a lot of NBA style sets where he came off baseline picks and got it. The one concerning, and this is like the problem for me of watching a player just a few times and not like an NBA scout on the two pull-up jumpers I saw him take where someone actually closed out on his shooting window. One of them, he threw up an air ball and missed by like five feet. And the other one, he hit glass and no rim. So it leads me to think that there's something in his fundamentals that make him an unbelievably balanced shooter. But if he's on the move and has to take a bounce, he's not able to get to that spot yet. I would guess with NBA coaching, he's going to get that. He's a sophomore. He's 20. His age is, you know, we'll dig into him a bit more as I watch him more. And I didn't dig into any of these three kind of the way I usually do. So I'll probably have to watch them again and and dig in even harder. Um, But he, he is a great shooter. And then to the contrast to Maxi, he's a, Nesmith is a great shooter and he's 6'6 with a 6'10 wingspan. So if he has to slide to the three, that's fine. If he slides to the two, you know, if he plays the two, that's natural. He's not a great defender. He didn't seem to be an elite level athlete moving side to side or working on some of those defensive aspects of him. But frankly, you know, so he's Danny Green. He's Dale Ellis. He's Buddy Heald. He's Freddie Downtown Brown. Like, we can go generations of players and find a comp on a 6'6 kid who can shoot. I'm not sure he's, he might turn out to be able to be Duncan Robinson, right? Six Davis Bertans. Like, he's not quite that 6'8 that those two guys are, where he's able to get the ball uh, and just rise up and take that at eight, nine threes a game. But if, if Aaron Nesmith can take nine threes a game in the NBA, which is where we're heading and is as solid a shooter as he showed in his sophomore year, this is a great pick. Like the fact that this is floating around 18 on Kevin O'Connor's mock draft is stunning to me in where the league is going. Davis Bertans and Duncan Robinson showed the league that there's a new player in this. It, league and it's just that it's the unbelievable coming off picks catch and shoot deep three quick release guy and my feeling is that Nesmith could become one of those players and I can see that it's so Nesmith to Maxi to me is an interesting contrast because those guys are really playing the same position and Maxi is way superior athlete better body kind of a bigger wow factor when he gets downhill coming to the rim it's awesome And you can kind of begin to piece it all together, but it's hard for me to translate that. Where Nesmith, who's got all sorts of little things wrong, maybe that off-the-bounce game gets him a little not good. His elite level, um, lack of elite 
level makes me wonder whether or not he can actually finish at the rim. Um, but you know what? Like, worst case on him, he's Seth Curry. Not Steph Curry, Seth Curry. Best case on him, he's a game-changing shooter. Like, that's just where this league is right now. So those two, to me, are super interesting to look at. And then Lewis, I really did like. I thought he just got downhill. He got at you. He's super young. He's a sophomore. He's only 19. He started at 17 in college. Um, I think you know exactly what you're getting with Lewis. You're getting a point guard who can come downhill, can finish, who creates a little bit, needs to be fixed a little bit. Don't think he's a top 15 point guard in the NBA ever, but you know what? He's so young you might want to keep an eye on it. I mean, I don't think he's Kemba, but it'd be interesting to go back and watch Kemba at 19 years old at Connecticut. They might not be that different. Um, Kemba's got a little bit more shake and bake to him than Lewis did. I didn't see that. Lewis is more coming around the pick and then accelerating to the basket. Kemba's got more of that shake, bake, go the other way. And then when they started to take Lewis's right hand away, he seemed to be okay. So that was super impressive on, on numerous um, levels there. All right, those are the three guys I watched over the weekend. Um, I'll continue to watch as many as I can. I'm also putting together the mock draft show. I'm a little short on hours and days right now, um, but we'll see what I can do. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar, doing wonderful things with the most delicious bars out there. Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar you'll ever have, whether it's the caramel brownie, the carrot cake, the apple almond crisp, or the orange that's surprisingly good, the double chocolate. Built Bar is healthy and they taste great. They are low calorie and low sugar. Good. High protein. Good. High fiber. Good. Great for the keto diet. 19 grams of protein, 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, and 5 grams of net carbs. That's most of them, not all of them, but that's the game. Here's the deal. Go to the uh, BuiltBar.com and put in Locked On and you'll get 20% off your next order. That's Locked On for 20% off your next order. And then tell us how much you love your Built Bar. I mentioned Josh Lloyd, Locked On Fantasy Basketball has been doing great draft coverage. If you, there's just a ton, a ton, a ton of draft coverage um, if you want to dig in on draft coverage uh, so far. All right. Um, Oklahoma City Thunder are our team today. This is one where if, if I'm an opposing GM, I'm watching them really, really closely. So there's a feeling around the league that Oklahoma City is going to hit the reset button. They have all these draft picks from the trade of Westbrook and the trade of Paul George. And they had this amazing year, and they've got this incredible piece in Gilgis Alexander. But there's a feeling that they're willing to set the reset button, trade Chris Paul, $41 million. So there's the first piece of this puzzle is, you know, for if you're an opposing GM and you're looking at anything going on with Oklahoma City, it's that, you know, check is are you interested in Chris Paul's $41 million? I, If I'm OKC, my take on this is <clears throat> I made a risky deal, got rid of Russell Westbrook, got the better player in the deal in uh, Chris Paul and would do and now would like to get away from his $44 million player option in 2021. The other angle is if you're rebuilding, you know, at some point you could do it. But they have a, their caps at 105 this year. Dennis Truder's at 15.5. Shea Gilgis. Is it four? Beautiful setup for them. They have Ferguson and Diallo still on their rookie year and Dort's on a, on a great deal. Million nine in three years for a great defensive. They've got all these young kids, Basley, Nader, Burton. What they, there's, The interesting pieces that they have is Mike Muscala will probably opt in on a player option. And there's no real reason why they need to get rid of him, but Muscala would be an interesting player, actually, for someone like the Jazz to have as a stretch five. 
Um, Steven Adams is at $27 million. I think that's probably the most interesting piece that they may move. He's an unrestricted free agent. They also could just decide to run it back one more year. But in the other sense, you know, Schroeder is a free agent at the end of 20, at the end of this year, and Adams is a free agent at the end of 2020. And I would not be surprised if they didn't move both those guys and actually kept Chris Paul because Chris Paul was just too hard to move. Um, and, and then turned it over. Take their draft pick this year. Let Gilgis Alexander build his team. Um, from that an- aspect of things, uh, see if Ferguson, Diallo, Dort, Baisley, Burton are ready. Um, I kind of like Deontay Burton a little bit and see where they go. So that's that's my take on kind of where the Thunder would go. Um, it will be interesting to see because I do think, um, you know, they've got these interesting, they've got these pieces. Um, and in those pieces, they, they've got, they're going to win. Uh, and then the free agent is Danilo Gallinari, who was vital to them this year, and everyone assumes that he's going to move on. But on the other end, the way the league is right now, I don't know what market Gallinari's getting other than maybe a one-year deal. And if that's the case, why, if you're the Thunder, don't you just decide to, you know, you could decide just to bring it back uh, for another season. So the Thunder are one of the more interesting teams to me because there's this natural assumption that they're going to – to retool it, but it doesn't kind always line up to me at what's right. All right, our free agent we're looking at today is Derek Jones. He's in Miami. He played kind of the peak of their zone defense when they were doing all of their zone this year. He's what he would really bring tremendously to the Jazz is an athleticism that we don't have. But this is the classic example of I want elite level athletes and I want shooting. Okay, well those are all-stars. So at 66210, he's only 23. Basketball Index ranks him as a off-ball movement finisher, roll gravity and perimeter defense. He's a wing, he can kind of play around many of the positions. His badges, according to B-ball Index like you would get in video games are transition phenom, interceptor and pick and popper. So his, he's a very low usage rate player. He'd be nice for us in the sense if he's on the floor with Donovan or Boyan um, or even Mike, that he could defend people that those guys didn't want to defend, and he's not asking out of the ball very much. He's 33% usage rate. He played on the floor. The offensive talent he played with was an A, 97 percentile. So that's exactly what Miami did with him. Put him on the floor with our best offensive players, our least good defensive players, and let him play defense. Um, and that's what his role was. His perimeter shooting compared to wing players, we're comparing him to 94 wing players at this point who all played at least 500 minutes. He gets an F. He's in the 13th percentile. His pull-up three is an F. His catch and shoot is an F. His above the break three is an F, okay? Right? We got we got perimeter shooting. His one-on-one game, uh, he didn't go isolation very often. When he did, he was, like, he was in the zero percentile of scoring. Um, he's 100% right-hand drive. Uh, and not great at finishing. All right, he's an A minus or finisher, so elite athlete. Getting to the rim, he does can't do it on his own. He's got to do it. His unassisted rate at the rim is an F, so he's getting there on cuts, on back cuts, being able to become open in transition. He's an A percentage at the rim. He's an A minus overall finishing talent. Is he's just he's an elite elite level get above the cup player. Off ball movement, he gets an A. Cuts per game, he gets an A. Playmaking, not really in his skill set. was interesting. His passing efficiency came out as an A-, minus, but his versatility came out really low. So, in other words, he, he will pass it. He's making the obvious pass. He's not creating anything. His playmaking talent got a D. 
interesting way I would think that the Jazz could use him if he became available would be as a, some type of a role man. And it's his numbers are great on it. He's such an elite jumper that even at 6'6", you could run a pick and roll with him and have him roll to the basket and have him take his man with him. Um, and you've got to respect it. And it shows up actually on the data that that's true according to B-Ball Index. Um, his offensive rebounding is a B. His defensive rebounding chances are a D. But his contested defensive rebounding is an A. So what that means is that his athleticism kicks in on his contested rebounds, but otherwise he's letting probably Bam or someone else take that rebound. On the offensive glass, he's a B offensive rebounder. Put back, he's a B grade. And so well, he's you know really nicely above average. Perimeter defense, A minus on ball recovery rate, A minus on pickpocket, A minus on passing lanes, A on three point contest, A minus on steals, A minus on deflections. He's his numbers come out to exactly what you think. 6'6", elite athlete, unrefined offensive game, 23 years old. You probably can teach those things. All the things you can't teach, wow. Guards the number one defensive offensive player 27% of the time, which is in the 95th percentile. Uh, Derek Jones Jr. is a really interesting player. Now, as playoffs go on, having a non-shooter is awfully difficult. Can you play non-shooters in the league in the playoff series when they're suddenly dropping on people? You've got to figure out how you can do it. Are you going to do it with And if you've already got Rudy, then you've got two non-shooters on the floor. So this is a guy who's probably playing in every non-Rudy minute. Huh? Now if he's already got, already got Rudy as a non-shooter and you've got Derek Jones Jr., are you signing him to really only play 14 to 16 minutes a night because having both he... And Rudy on the floor at the same time could be tough. Now, you could also roll out for a few minutes like a zone defense. It's a 2-3 with Rudy and Derek Jones at the front of it and just be like wild or a 1-1-3 or crazy zone defenses and use him in that fashion. His player impact rating, C-plus offense, C-minus defense. His real plus-minus, C-minus offense, D defensively, really surprising. His Raptors, a B-minus offense, A-minus defense. And his box plus-minus is a B-plus overall uh, that is Derek Jones Jr. That is Locked on Jazz today. Thanks very much for tuning in. Hope you liked it. We'll continue to dig into the draft and get you ready. This is going to be the wildest, most fun next 20 days. I ex- hope you'll be on the journey with me each and every day. This is Locked on Jazz, part of Locked on Podcast Network.